scriptures this morning from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Reading Through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, you find lots of criticism and judgment of the people for their sins and criticism of the leaders for not being faithful in their leadership. But then when we get to chapter 40, it's what biblical scholars then term second Isaiah. The time frame and the political and governmental issues that the author addresses are different than they were in the first 39 chapters. In this section, from chapter 40 through chapter 55, the tone shifts and sounds much different. It is a tone with more comfort and joy, less criticism and judgment, more lifting up the people and God's words of comfort and joy. You heard them in the very first verse we read, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. To contrast that with the first 39 chapters where it's more criticism and judgment and doom, verse 5 in chapter 39 gives us a nice taste of that. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts, days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. In that portion, they're predicting that the Babylonians are coming and they're going to take everything. And Isaiah was right. They did come and they devastated and conquered Jerusalem and took anything and everything and everyone that they wanted back to Babylon. The people are living in exile and beginning in chapter 40 in 2nd Isaiah, if you will, this author is addressing those living in in exile and yet even though they are living in exile chapter 40 rings out with hope it has this great expectation that God is going to act and bring them home you can hear in verses 3 and 4 of what we read a voice cries out in the wilderness which is the territory between Babylon and Jerusalem In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. The Babylonians are in charge, but second Isaiah lives in hope and has this dream that God is going to act and reunite the people and bring home the people from exile. 
that God somehow is going to make a way. It will be God's way and a way for the exiled people to come back home and back to God and back to their place of living and their place of worship. Isaiah dreams of a straight, flat, smooth road back to the promised land for his weary, exiled people. I used to live pretty far out south. I was south of an urban wilderness called Turkey Mountain. Don't know if you have been there, but it's a beautiful set-apart space along the river that's filled with hiking and running trails, walking trails, biking trails. When I lived out there, I liked to go over there for my runs. Often on a Saturday morning, I would say to my wife, I'm going to drive over to Turkey Mountain, go for a 30-minute run, be back in no time. Would drive over there, get out, start up the main path. I'm jogging and running, sometimes climbing up and over rocks. Usually takes about 15 minutes for me to get to the top, enjoy the view. You can look out over the river and out over Tulsa, and then I would head back down. Now, you would think going back down would be quicker than going up to the top. But as I'm running and jogging, you know what you find out is there are lots of whys where you have to make a decision to go right or left. It's not always clear at the top of the mountain which way is going down and which way is going further into the wilderness. But I just trusted my instincts. I've got this. So I would just keep running, and then I would begin getting tired. And then I would look at my watch, and it would have been 30 minutes. And I'm still pretty much on the top of the mountain. I hate to say that I was lost, but I don't know exactly where I am. And I don't know which path is going to get me back to the bottom. So I just keep running, trusting my instincts, beginning to hope and pray that I finally find that path that goes down back to the parking lot and flattens out. And, of course, that's also where there's water. But here's a little tip I learned. Pay attention to the trail signs. Really helpful to know what the signs mean and which ones are pointing you to the bottom. I resisted outside help, but I really needed it. Has that ever happened to you? Where you resisted help from outside? Where you tried to hide your struggles and your problems? Where you tried to avoid facing what you were dealing with in your life, but by the avoidance also were an obstacle to the very help that you need. It can happen to any of us. This author dreams about a time where the people will turn to God and God will help them. This prophet proclaims that God is that help for God's people and that this will happen because the prophet or the messenger of the Lord has spoken it on behalf of God. We heard it at the very last phrase we read, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It has that sense of Genesis where God speaks and things happen. God says, let there be light, and there is light. God says, let this happen, and it happens. God says, let that happen, and it happens. God is creating in our midst and when God speaks things happen 
And Isaiah is reminding his people of this long story of faith where there is this continual theme of God being at work in the world. This Isaiah passage from 2nd Isaiah as well as any number of others throughout the scriptures raise up this biblical theme of the people having faith because they know that God is at work for our good. Yet so often we miss it or struggle to recognize how and where God is at work in the world. I think one of the reasons this happens to us in America is we get so focused on individual liberties and rights which are important. But sometimes it skews how we're looking for God and we're only looking for God to be at work in our own personal lives. Our own personal blessings of good fortune or material blessings or something happened happening that we had hoped for the biblical narrative in isaiah and other places suggest we take a step back raise our gaze see the larger and broader picture and begin to look for god at work in the lives of others and in the lives of the community there's a founding story about alcoholics anonymous that i read recently bill wilson got sober just about this time of year in 1934. He was so excited about his sobriety that he was trying to tell anybody else he knew that ever drank how great it was. Guess how they responded? Not well, with dismissal. For months, he said, he tried to share his newfound sobriety without success. And then, about May 1935 he had an opportunity for a new business deal in Akron Ohio and he went to Akron he said within the first day of meetings it became clear the deal was not going to work out the way he had hoped he said in the evening he was back at his hotel pacing around the lobby trying to figure out if he could salvage this deal he said the more he thought about it the more distraught and hopeless he became and as he was standing there, he said he began to notice the laughter coming from the bar that was adjacent to the lobby. And he said he had an impulse, a thought that he had not had for months, where his mind said, I need a drink. But before he went into the bar, he said he stood there a little longer. And a new thought, he says one that he had never had, came to him. And rather than thinking, I need a drink, he said he realized, I need another alcoholic. And he said he rushed to the phones and began to make a series of calls that led him to Dr. Bob Smith, who eventually became with him the co-founder of AA. And he says the conversation with Dr. Bob was so different than all the others he had tried to have, where he was trying to tell somebody about what they needed he said in that conversation i was sharing what i needed and dr bob was sharing what he needed and we recognized in the give and take that we definitely needed each other and he says it was the insight of that moment and that first meeting with dr bob that laid the foundation for all 12-step work that has ever happened that they recognized that they both had a need 
and that they could help each other with a way forward. Bill Wilson says the key is, find, is that we can find this mutual support in relationships. This is one of the things the church provides when we are at our best, where everyone can come from whatever their background, whatever their circumstance in life, and know that they'll be seen and treated as a beloved child of God. It's a place where we can come and learn about loving one another and begin to practice within the community this love of one another. As Jesus says, they will know we are His disciples when we love one another. Ernst Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum are co-authors of a book I've been reading called The Spirituality of Imperfection. They told that story that I told you about the founding of AA. Then they write a little more about the importance of community. I want to read you a few sentences. Spirituality is nurtured in community. The oneness with others that springs from shared vision and shared goal, shared memory and shared hope. As Ignatius of Antioch advised first century Christians, one cultivates the way of life that is spirituality by seeking out the company of others or the company of saints. Simply put, seeking out those who are seeking to live the same way of life. Then they go on with this insight. While spirituality can be discovered in solitude, reading, thinking, meditating, praying, it can be fulfilled only in community. Our spiritual life can only be fulfilled in community. We are called together as we respond to this call of Christ. It's another story from AA where one of the members remembers the story of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb. And he points out, Jesus calls him out, but then says to the bystanders, you all unwrap him, unbind him, unbind him, free him to go. And the man said, my higher power called me out of the death spiral of alcoholism, but I needed the others in AA to unbind me, to help me be free and to continue the life that I'm being called to live. Advent is the first season of the liturgical year. Our ancestors in the faith posited that this is the place to start expecting God to come to us, anticipating that God is at work in our lives, looking to see how God's love is being born into our world. Reminding each other of the story of hope. Advent is the liturgical season of the church, of the community, where we invite people to come together, where sinners come together looking for forgiveness of sin, where ordinary people gather expecting something extraordinary to happen. 
This is a place, as our invitation says in our communion liturgy, where Christ our Lord invites to His table all who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Advent is a season of hope where we're looking for peace and beginning to strive as followers of Jesus to live peace in our lives, to truly love one another. Isaiah says, when this truth grasps us, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together. Amen. And thanks be to God.